ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel Sports Experience. My name's Jake Botel, and I am your host with the most. <laughs> oh boy. Um, late night. Late night watching sport. This is the sports experience, and we had a sports experience um, last night. Um, I was listening to some uh, Fallout Boy earlier, um, you know, just really showing my, uh, you know, uh, mid-noughties uh, emo band tendencies. Um, good band, Fallout Boy. Um, and the the lyric, uh, we do it in the dark with smiles on our faces, um, de- definitely rang true um, about... Uh, the sports experience last night. Uh, now, all um, all cards on the table. I will admit, I am not a massive, you know, tennis uh, aficionado. Um, you know, I didn't sit and watch every game of the Australian Open. I, I can't even say that I watched... I don't even know if I watched a full game outside of the game last night. Tennis is one of those things, love it when I watch it, but it's not, you know, necessarily something that holds my um, imagine not imagination, it doesn't hold my um, attention uh, for a whole tournament uh, like other sports. You know, I, I watch NFL year-round, um, th- you know, 365 days of the year, um, you know, from training camps, the draft, free agency, um, you know, the deep, dark days of the off-season when there's not much to talk about and any little thing you can get about, you know, this, you know, assistant coach was hired. You know, I follow it deeply. Um, tennis, not so much like that. Uh, I used to watch a lot more of it. Uh, now it's competing with a lot of other sports on my radar. However, just because you know you don't read Shakespeare every day doesn't mean that when you sit down and watch a Shakespeare that you're not still captivated and enthralled. And that was my experience with the Australian Open final uh, last night between Rafael Nadal and Daniel Medvedev. Um, an absolute epic. And I, I think I missed the... F- well, I didn't miss the whole first set. I was sort of doing other things while the first set was on, and my partner, Talia, was watching it. Um, and I slowly got, you know, drawn in by the contest to the point where, you know, five and a half hours later at 1.30 in the morning, you know, as this game wound its way to its uh, thrilling conclusion... Yeah, I was totally hooked by that stage. So, I also managed to have the uh, uh, Washington Capitals and Pittsburgh Penguins um, NHL game on a second screen. I started that because, as I said, it was this game for context between the number two in the world uh, in Medvedev and Nadal, number six. Uh, Nadal fell behind 6-2 after the first set. Um and then, uh, to his credit, he pulled it back in the second set, um, but lost on a tiebreaker 
uh, to Medvedev, who looked for all money after that, that maybe he'd seen off the challenge. Um, you know, he, he'd taken a two sets to love lead. And you just kind of got the feeling. I don't know. He was like, the commentators described um, him as a brick wall. Um, you know, just absorbing everything that, that Nadal could throw at him. And so, yeah, two, I got absorbed into the second set after sort of missing most of the first one. And when, when Nadal fell down two to love, I said to Talera, are you going to watch the rest of this? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to watch the rest. And I thought, well, it's sport. I'll watch some and I'll chuck an NHL game that I'd been meaning to watch for like three weeks on. So that was, it was an old game. Um, from a, about a month ago, the Caps and the Pens. And so I watched that, and the, um, for the record, the Pens dominated that one, um, beat the Caps 4-2, and anyone who hasn't been living under a rock will uh, will know that because it's a month old, so I won't you know dissect that one too much. Um, but I thought maybe I'll get you know half an hour, 45 minutes of this, this hockey game in before the tennis is over, and then I'll just hit the sack. Um but that was not to be. As I said, this contest uh, near five and a half hours long, um, deep after midnight. We do it in the dark with smiles on our faces. My goodness gracious me, there was not many smiles um, on the faces of the two combatants involved. Uh, a thrilling contest. Uh, and... You know, first of all, a testament, you know, one of the great things about tennis, you know, it, it is it is really a duel. You know, it's a duel of a sport. It's two people, um, you know, matching wits, matching physicality, matching endurance and um, uh, mental fortitude, emotional stability. Uh, going against each other, you know, for, for the best part of six hours, this was. And the sweat absolutely pouring off Nadal and his opponent, Medvedev. Um, just pouring off them, you know, humid sort of conditions. And, you know, uh, Medvedev was going for the, the pickle juice um, on a number of occasions to try and um, stave off um, the cramping. Interesting cat. Um, the interesting matchup of, of physiques um, and styles in, in, some, in one sense, you know. As I said, I'm not like the world's biggest tennis expert, but you know it doesn't take a moron to realize it, it, it doesn't take a genius. Maybe it does take a moron. Um, it doesn't take a genius um, to you know to see that these very different sorts of tennis players, in parts, they have some similarities. Their ability to extend a rally, my goodness. Um, and they they did that at plenty, you know, multiple games um, going over, you know, 10 minutes in duration and multiple breakpoint opportunities saved. And it, it was just incredible um, theatre and, you know, a, a true war of attrition. You know, we, we throw that term around a lot, you know, oh, it was a war of attrition. This was <laughs> textbook war of attrition. Um, if you look up war of attrition, in the uh, dictionary, 
I don't know if you can look up a phrase like that in the dictionary, but uh, um, <laughs> yeah, you'd find this match. Um, but Medvedev, uh, maybe for those who haven't watched and you know, or whatever, um, even those who do, you know, to paint the picture, you know, a tall sort of lanky kind of guy, you know, quite slender, um, with a massive reach, um, you know, and then on the other side of the court, you've got Nadal, who is sort of this tanned, um, you know, stocky, uh, kind of bull of a physique, you know, um, and Medvedev, you know, far and away the superior first serve. And, and that was sort of what put Nadal in the hole early, apart from a lot of unforced errors on the, on the part of Nadal. He just looked out of rhythm. You know, sometimes you'll see a player in, you know, in any sport, you know, NFL, you'll see a quarterback who's just the throwing motion is not quite there. He's not quite hitting things with that pinpoint accuracy. You'll see it in, you know, in cricket, a bowler starts landing things. He's not quite where he wants, uh, you know, a batsman can't quite find the middle of the, of the willow, uh, you know, he's, you know, mistiming drives to the field and that sort of thing. Well, that's sort of what Nadal looked like, you know, just slightly out of sync with his normal rhythm, um, you know, missing a lot of shots, you know, by sort of, you know, half a foot or, or whatever outside the line. It was just a lot of near misses, some nets, some some unforced errors, and Medvedev looked switched on, and that first serve was absolutely killer. Um, and, you know, from what I watched, and maybe the stats would tell you differently, but it seemed like, you know, early in the game, he attacked Nadal straight down the middle with his first serve, uh, a lot of, you know, absolute, you know, rockets launched down the center line um, that left Nadal sort of sprawling to return. Later in the game, as it wore on, um, a little bit more bend on the serves uh, down the middle, sort of a curling, still at pace, but then, you know, some serves too that was sliding sort of wider, um, you know, across Nadal. It seemed like the tactics sort of changed and, you know, whether that was an energy factor, whether he was just feeling like he couldn't land as many of those flat ones down the middle. I don't know. I'm not, as I said, I'm not a tennis expert, but so Nadal wasn't getting those easy points off first serves that Medvedev, you know, was getting, you know, Nadal's service games were running, you know, four, five, six minutes, you know, and upwards. And Medvedev was, um, you know, really capitalizing with some cheap service games um, off the back of that, you know, firecracker of a first serve. And so with Nadal looking out of rhythm and Medvedev looking on and the service games easy uh, for Medvedev and service games difficult for Nadal, you sort of thought maybe Rafa is going to run out of... Uh, of you know, landing strip to get this done. He's going to run out of road to sort of right the wrongs here um, because the game's going to be over too quickly. If he can't find a way to extend Medvedev's service games, uh, then he's going to be in trouble because I think that's one of those things when a player is out of rhythm, and this is the same in cricket as well, you know, what you're trying to do in cricket, and I think this is the, the, the best sort of like-for-like like analogy, if you're a batsman and you're out of rhythm, well, your priority now... you is to survive long enough to find the rhythm again. 
Because once you've found the rhythm and the ball starts hitting the center of the bat, uh, you know, starts hitting the sweet spot and you start hitting the gaps in the field instead of the fielders and runs start flowing, well, then you're in the groove and then the pressure is back on the bowler. Uh, likewise, in this tennis game, it felt like Nadal, it was about survival. After that first set passed 6-2, to two, um, Nadal had to find a way to extend that second set long enough for him to start finding some rhythm and start finding his form and find a way to beat Medvedev. And, you know, one of the ways in which um, Medvedev uh, was such a, a sort of a cunning opponent, and they illustrated this really nicely um, on the broadcast last night, is the way in which he uses his reach to his advantage in that he stands a good like five meters back um, off the baseline to receive serves. Now, obviously, that means that <laughs> that ball is reaching you um, at, at a, it gives you more time to react to that you know, vicious first serve of an opponent and to put more returns off serve into play. And that's, I think, where it really felt like a brick wall where Nadal was really struggling to get anything past, um, you know, anything past the racket of Medvedev. And conversely, uh, and, and conversely, you know, Medvedev was just rocketing them past Nadal. If you look at the... Um, the, the, the total aces, uh, 23 to Medvedev and 3 to Nadal. I th also thought it was surprising. There was a lot of double faults. I don't know if there was a lot in comparison to other tennis, game, uh, tennis matches, but it seemed to me like there was. Um, each player had five double faults. Um, first serve percentage, 70% for Medvedev uh, and 62% for Nadal. Um, and, you know, that was that was sort of key to the game early, was this, this fact that Medvedev had such an advantage in the service game, and Nadal, you know, couldn't extend his own service games. And so, as I said, you just thought he was maybe going to run out of um, road to right the ship. But he did find a way to get back into that second set. Now, I noticed later in the game, I could be wrong here. Maybe I was making more out of it. I thought they showed an aerial shot of Nadal later in the contest where he seemed to be standing a little deeper to return Medvedev's um, serves. Uh, as I said, you know, Medvedev was standing like five meters off the baseline. I think they said Rafa is about three and a half or something. And then, the, you know, the average is about two or two and a half meters um, for the AP top 50 players. It was a really good graphic anyway um, that they brought up on the broadcast. So, you know, Medvedev is standing like twice as deep as anyone else. And, you know, he can do that as they described on the broadcast due to his, you know, extensive reach. Um, and it allows him to put more returns into play off the serves. Um, now, as I said, I thought they showed an aerial shot of of Nadal, you know, sort of in stance, ready to receive a serve later in the game. And to me, it looked deeper than he had been standing 
could be totally smoking, uh, smoking crack on this one. Uh, <laughs> could be totally wrong, um, but it, it just visually maybe it looked like he was he was standing deep at a return surf. Don't know if that was what turned it around. But one thing that did turn it around um, for Nadal was he started to reduce the unforced errors. Um, and you know, some t- it, it, it's hard to describe except for. He hung around long enough, extended enough points that he found his rhythm. And suddenly where, you know, he was hitting balls out, you know, past the sideline or, or, or too deep, suddenly he started, you know, finding the tape. Suddenly he started the drop shots he was trying to play, you know, those little chip shots back over the net, the little wedge um, started to land and, and skid out of Medvedev's reach. And I'll say this, another thing that helped Nadal in this game uh, was his unshakable mentality. Now, Medvedev has a reputation, as I discovered on the broadcast, um, of sort of these meltdowns these verbal outbursts at the umpire. He seems to let the crowd get to him a little bit. The crowd, obviously, um, pro-Nadal. And, you know, this is something that seems to happen at all Grand Slams. Every Grand Slam has its favorites. Um, You know, your Federer's, your Nadal's. Uh, Djokovic, to a lesser extent, at least in Australia, it's a little bit split on him. But, you know, generally there's a favorite. It's pretty rare when you get two people playing you know, in the Grand Slam final and the crowd is just totally split. Um, The closest, I guess, I've ever seen is when Nadal and Federer would play in Oz Open um, finals. Uh, Then it seemed more of a 50-50 between the two. But the crowd was clearly pro the Spaniard and Medvedev was not happy about it. Um, Now, there were a few... few moments where, you know, the crowd were talking between serves and that seemed to really get under his skin. And I can understand that. And the umpire did a really good job, I thought, of trying to take control of the game and tell people. At one moment, he told them, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to speak between first and second serve, I will have security remove you. Now, how you actually apply that, I have no fucking clue. But to his credit, he attempted to get the match under control. And Medvedev was working the umpire too at, at you know, uh, changes of end. You know, he was in his ear saying, you know, are you going to step up? I caught, I caught from him at one moment. Are you going to step up here? Are you going to step up here? And I thought, Jesus Christ, mate, like, give it a rest. Some of these dudes, like, just control what you can control. Um, and as someone who used to let things get under their skin a lot on the sports field, you know, learning to not let people shake you off your spot. Like that's, that's sports psychology 101, you know? But anyway, the umpire to his credit, didn't let it get out of control. Medvedev, I felt like did at times. He let the crowd get under his skin at times when the game was in the balance. Um, You know, they cheered a few times, you know, when he hit it into the net. And he like clapped at the audience and gave them the thumbs up as if to say, oh, well, fuck you for cheering me for hitting the internet. Um, I think it was Jim Courier on the broadcast who said, you know, well, these guys, you know, they paid the, they paid for the ticket. They can say what they want. Um, you know, 
And he's right. This is part of being a sports person. You know, uh, the crowd is in, the crowd's excited. You are not the favoured player, and that might not seem fair, but, you know, heroes and villains, baby, everyone's got them. And Medvedev was, to an extent, the villain last night. Everyone wanted to see Rafa win. Everyone wanted to see the history of a guy winning his 21st title. Um... You know, uh, people want to see history and, you know, Rafa seems like a really good dude. There's a long history, you know, of Rafa at the Aussie Open where where the fans do really get behind him. Um, You know, Medvedev reminded me in so many spots of Novak Djokovic. You know, I remember Djokovic having this really antagonistic relationship with the crowd. Um, he seemed unable to put it behind him that they weren't cheering for him. He seemed desperate for them to cheer for him. Um, and it, it's always been a very forced relationship I've found with Djokovic and and at least the Australian crowds. Um, but Medvedev seems, seemed to struggle with the same thing. And, you know, surely you would know going into this match that that was the way it was going to be. And you just saw it sometimes where it would get under his skin. He was having some sort of um, issues with the the kids, with the the you know the the ball boys and girls who were trying to distribute the tennis balls to him. And then he was having a chat to the umpire about it. He was getting a bit frustrated, and you know you saw him break emotional ranks multiple times across the game. I think you saw Nadal. There were two times, one with an out where he sort of looked around at the umpire and said, well, you know, you're kidding me, that was out. And there was one other time, which was fair enough, when someone spoke in the middle of a point. I can't remember what they said, oh my God, or something like that, you know, during a rally, which, you know, it happens. But Nadal, I think, you know, a contrast, we talk about a contrast in styles between the two players, you know, Medvedev with the, you know, the killer first serve, Nadal unable to break down, you know, the brick wall of Medvedev's return game. you know, Nadal is sort of bulkier, bullish kind of figure, and then Medvedev, sort of a, a, a ganglier, uh, longer-limbed sort of dude. Well, then, Medvedev with the short fuse, um, and he sort of falls into a, car- uh, a, you know, a lineage of, of caricatures like Marat Safin, as I said, Novak Djokovic, you know, guys who they can't help themselves, and they talked on the broadcast about... Um, you know, the, I guess that, you know, his, his sessions with a sports psychologist and that sort of thing. And you wonder like, God, that must be interesting (laughs) for for her. Um, uh, I I believe it was a woman that they were talking about, um, who's his sports psychologist. And he, yeah, he seemed incapable of putting it aside late in the game. There was less of it, but he seemed to have been, I mean, by that stage, you're you're exhausted and uh, and a little bit resigned. I thought um, the momentum really shifted, but before that momentum shifted, it was the breakdowns for me, um, where he let the crowd get to him, and there were a few serves that went wild. There were a few shots that went into the net. You know, clearly frustrated that he couldn't turn the crowd onto his side, and Rafa just kept building and building and building and. You know, it reminded me of, um, you know, another bullish figure in sport, uh, Derek Henry for the Tennessee Titans, NFL running back, where sometimes 
Henry, you know, he gets out to a slow start, kind of like, you know, like a locomotive, a steam train. You know, it's just... And, you know, he's not really hitting big runs, you know, up the middle. And he's sort of, you know, getting two-yard gains and getting tackled around his ankles. And then the second half starts like... And suddenly, he starts to rev into engine. And then it's... All aboard the Henry Express as he charges for 150 yards and three touchdowns. Um, that's kind of what it was like for Nadal. Maybe not the same. I mean, no, he, he really did seem to reach kind of some peak Nadal performance by the end. But it took him a while to get going. And, you know, there were some moments in that third set that were crucial to that. Um, so after Nadal had fallen behind, uh, two to love in sets. The third obviously becomes crucial because if Medvedev wins it, he wins the game. Um, he wins the match. Um, but it seemed like Nadal extended that second set. He held on long enough when he was out of rhythm to turn the tide. And once he got going, he he was not without blemish. And you know, close to the end of the match, um, he had a... Uh, I believe he broke, he had a break in service um, that allowed Medvedev, you know, one last look at the game, uh, one last look at getting back into the match where it just seemed like all of a sudden Nadal got tight when he had the opportunity to sort of not serve for the game, but effectively serve for the game. But I think, yeah, Medvedev, you know, it didn't cost him in entirety. But I do think it'll his his little mini meltdowns just allowed these moments back into the game for Nadal, who was steadfast in his mentality, um, clockwork in his little pre-serve and pre-return rhythms. You know this you know pick of the shorts and you know the pockets and then you know the 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 shoulder left and right shoulder and you know a rub of the nose and then the forearm across the forehead and then you know the the inner forearm you know across the nose and all these little sort of you know OCD rhythms uh, he just sticks to his process he sticks to his process and eventually the process yielded results um, and there was just some sublime tenets from both of them Medvedev's ability to to keep the the, the ball in play, Nadal's ability to keep the ball in play and make just breathtaking backhand shots down the line. I mean, those are the ones that really stood out for me were those ones where he just flattens it. You know, there's, there's cross-court rallies and then Nadal just drives one, just flattens it and, you know, pancakes it back past Medvedev almost before he had time to respond. Um, as I said, both, both players played some exceptional tennis. Um, a lot of Medvedev's best tennis was in the first two sets, um, but but that it wasn't saved only for those two sets. It's just that once Nadal found his rhythm, although I wouldn't, it's hard. I was going to call it. There was a feeling of inevitability about Nadal winning. Um, or put it this way, I felt there was a feeling of inevitability about it once he'd won the third set, simply. Because, again, it would have taken a massive shift in momentum once more. And I didn't know if Medvedev had the energy 
to turn the tide again. He had he certainly had the energy to hang around and, and, and make issues for Nadal, and, and it was a very evenly matched um, game of tennis. But there was just something dialed in with Rafa Nadal. You know, sort of part of the way through that second set, he seemed to have found something. And once he found it, he didn't let go. I mean, he just kept pounding on it. And until he got the result that he needed, um, he wins the the third set, 6-4. He won the fourth set, 6-4. And he triumphed 7-5 in the final set to, make, to take his 21st Grand Slam title. Uh, an amazing game, and and you know, hats off to Medvedev who 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 played his heart out, and you know what a crazy game, five and a half hours, they gave it their all. But I think Nadal deserves deserves the credit, you know, as you know, having a claim to the great, you know, the greatest tennis player um, of all time. And what a what an era we've lived through. Um, you know, to think that I remember watching Federer trying to haul down Pete Sampras's record of fourteen Grand Slam titles. That's funny. I was texting Sam, my brother, um, during the game, and I said, "I remember watching Nadal's first Australian Open." You know, it's weird how how time. You know, you sort of measure time against the sporting events that you witness. Um, you mark time that way, and you don't feel as though you've gotten any older. And then you look at Nadal and go, "Wow, I remember when you were a young man." And not that he's old, old now, but in terms of sports, he's old. Um, you know, he's the the grizzled vet now. So I remember Federer trying to chase down fourteen. You know, Pete Sampras has 14 Grand Slam titles. Um, you know, and, and Sampras had set the benchmark of 14 um, men's Grand Slam titles. Um, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, and not only did Federer overhaul him to win 20, Djokovic has overhauled him to win 20. And now Nadal has won 21. We have seen, like, we have lived in this strange golden era of men's tennis from the, if you like dynasties, um, you know, um, that's that's what we've had. We've had this triplet, um, the, the you know, these dynastic triplets of Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal, who have all cleared 20 Grand Slams. Nadal leads the way. And Nadal, I love it. He's so unlikely in a way. Um, In the sense that when Federer was around, Nadal played second fiddle. You know, there might have been a brief window where you sort of thought of Nadal as the number one. And I know I understand that there would have been periods of, you know, tennis where he was the world number one and all that sort of thing. But Nadal always has functioned for me as as the foil to whoever is at the top. And that, I mean, as, a, as an absolute credit, you know, he he has found a constant way to sort of keep winning. Um, and uh, so he now has the most of any player in history and, and he's thoroughly, thoroughly deserving. Um, you know, 21 titles. 21 Grand Slam titles. Just insane. Um, 
So um, the, I, I think it's it's just crazy. Like I said, just a crazy era of the sport to have lived through. And as I said, I used to watch a lot more tennis than I do now. And, and a lot of you, if you are listening to this, probably have watched a lot more tennis than I do. But this was a spectacle. You know, we talk about the Jake Botel sports experience. This was a Jake Botel sports experience. One of the greatest games I've watched of, of tennis. And there's been, there's been a lot of great games down the line. Um, and I know I kind of, you know... Um, uh, bandwagoned this tournament in that I didn't really follow until the the big one. But tell you what, that's what we're here for, right? The big ones, the big sporting events. Um, and what a performance by Nadal. What a performance by Nadal. You have to feel for Medvedev. Um, you think there'll be things for him to learn from it. Um, but, you know, Nadal thoroughly deserving it's nice to see good guys win too um i'm not the world's biggest novak djokovic fan um and it's nice to see a guy like nadal come through and get you know this reward um for his effort so there you go that's my little recap of what was an epic game uh Nadal stays alive long enough to find rhythm, and once he finds rhythm, um, he becomes um, the the unstoppable force, you know, which eventually overwhelmed the immovable object in Medvedev. So there you have it. There's my Aussie Open Grand Final recap. I'll be back during the week with something else, no doubt. Be well. Be well.